For 15 years, I worked with a really good friend, Julie Martin, an expert in working with children. Each summer, I would help her with vacation Bible school where kids in the community just seemingly like came out of the woodwork to join uh, and be a part of it. And I was always amazed at her ability to somehow miraculously get like 150 kids to sit quietly and listen. And when they got a little rowdy and she needed to get their attention, she would always say something like this. She would get the microphone and she would say, now you know that God made you with two ears and one mouth so you would learn to listen well. And I don't know how that worked, but it did every time. I always remembered this. And this like jumped out at me when I looked at the scripture today. We too need to note that God made us with two ears and only one mouth so that we might learn to listen well. I would love to offer this simple truth on the screen right here to our members of Congress. I think they could, they could really benefit by, by this really simple thing. Like it made me think of how poorly we listen to one another. And the first thing I thought of was I could picture in my mind and see if, if you watch the news or listen to the news, you've all seen or heard this, right? When they interview, any media interviews people on opposing sides, they will talk and yell and scream over each other to the point where I cannot understand one single thing that either side is trying to make, right? We're such poor listeners that we cannot even listen to someone that has a different point of view than we do. It made me think like, what I do now is I just, I'm so sick of it. I just turn the channel. I go sports. I'm done, you know. Um, if I can't understand what someone is saying or listen to them, I, I just I'm moving on now. I don't have time for that. And this is what I thought about um, in a different way, but I think you'll see the connection. Like if we can't listen to one another, how in the world can we ever expect to hear the subtle voice of Jesus, who never shouts? who whispers to us in silence, right? This is what we're going we're gonna to deal with today. And listening is this skill. It needs to be learned. It needs to be developed. It needs to be practiced. And silence is one of the ways that we learn to listen better. I'm learning more and more that silence is just an essential part of our spiritual life. It's one of the most important ways for connecting directly with God. And so silence has been a part of the Christian tradition for centuries. Moses, you might remember, met with God in silence on Mount Sinai. Elijah discovered, and one of the really one of the coolest little verses in all of Scripture, discovered that God was not to be found in noise and activity, but found in the sound of sheer silence, is what the prophet says. And so Jesus too knew the importance of solitude and silence. Jesus regularly went off to be alone with God. And I heard this really cool story in the third and fourth centuries. There was this guy, St. Arsenius. I know you all have him on your calendar on his day. Um, He was a guy who was sent to tutor the son of the emperor in Constantinople, which he did for 11 years. And this guy became like really disillusioned with this kind of lavish lifestyle that he was leading. Um, And he was kind of questioning his worldly involvement. He eventually, uh, this kind of dissatisfaction drove this guy out into the desert to seek the company of these desert monks. 
Abbot Arsenius prayed to God. He said, lead me to salvation. And he heard a voice respond to him saying, be silent. It's, this, is all, this theme is all over the place. And think about this. Words are so easy to come by unless you preach every week. Then they're a little more difficult. <laughs> Even in worship, we fill the space with words, both sung words and spoken words. And we often crowd out space to listen. Today is called Transfiguration Sunday. I know another one, you woke up this morning and everybody knew that, I'm sure. Um, and on Transfiguration Sunday, we're encouraged to listen to Jesus. And we know right at the beginning that God made us with two ears and one mouth for this very purpose. Let's pray. Speak to us, Lord, by your word and by your spirit as we learn to listen to your son. Amen. Here we go, Luke 9, 28 to 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James, went up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silence, and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. Word of the Lord. How strange is this passage? There's a lot of weird stuff in here. It's fun, though. It's fun. We'll see if we can explain it and understand some of these unusual things. So I'm going to show my age a little bit here. Does anybody remember from the 80s those E.F. Hutton commercials? Anyone remember the tagline? What is it? Who wants to try it? Anybody? When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen, right? It's like I was thinking about this. I used to love those commercials when I was a kid. Um, I don't know why it was like these dudes rocking really short shorts, some pretty good 80s haircuts, some really poor quality audio and video, and people would be bustling around on the commercial. They'd be doing their thing, exercising, whatever, um, and somebody would mention the name E.F. Hutton, and everybody would just freeze, and they'd all lean in, and they'd put their hand to their ear, and they would stop and listen, and I was like, this is what I thought of when this passage came up. I'm like, when the voice of God appears out of nowhere and says, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. We ought to pay close attention. And so this mountaintop experience, it takes place, and I think the context here is pretty important. It takes place eight days after Peter makes this really bold confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Eight days after Jesus taught his disciples that the Messiah would go to Jerusalem, must suffer, die, and rise. And the question, of course, that's looming is, does Peter even understand what this means, right? And so Jesus takes this inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up him with this high mountain for this special experience. Um, 
Mount Tabor is this place. Has anyone been? You guys have probably been, huh? Have you been to Mount Tabor before? No? I finally asked the question where Dale and Wendy haven't been. This might be a, a moment. It's going to be recorded, right, Dustin? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, it's this kind of large hill, this round hill in Galilee, and from the top you get these pretty stunning views. Um, and I always thought it was funny because when I did some research on it, was learning about it, people love to write about these um, taxi drivers because you have to take a, t- a taxi to the top. And so what they say is that God is especially pleased with these taxi drivers because more praying happens in the few minutes going up and down these windy roads than happens like the whole rest of the week. Um, so if you go, be careful because uh, there's supposed to be some pretty crazy cabbies taking you up and down. And so Jesus is praying. This is where things get really strange, right? So what we want to figure out is what are these strange things? What do they mean? What is, what is, what's the gospel trying to communicate? And so he's praying, his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Here's something that I learned that I think is really fascinating. The great rabbis of the Jewish tradition, they actually teach and taught that the face of Adam, the first human in scripture, had lost its radiance because of sin. And that they said that the Messiah would one day restore the radiance of the human face. That is really cool. Think about that one uh, over lunch. And so the closest thing I could ever compare this to was uh, to these dazzling white clothes and the radiance of Jesus' face was this pastor that I met in Nicaragua, all right? 20 years ago or so, I went to this outdoor Christian worship gathering in this really rural part of Nicaragua, and the pastor was the most stylishly clad dude I've ever seen before in my life. Solid white from head to toe, white leather shoes, white pants, and this exact shirt, white Guayabara shirt, right? So he inspired me. Like I came back a couple years later, found this and bought it. It's still my absolutely favorite shirt. And it was inspired by by this guy. And what I couldn't believe was rural Nicaragua is solid dirt and mud. How, and there's no, they don't have cars. How did this guy get to worship with all white clothes without a speck of dirt on him? I've never been able to figure it out. Um, but when I saw this pastor, I actually thought of the transfiguration. This is where my mind went. I'm like, this is incredible. Look at this guy. He's dazzling like Elvis. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, I think Elvis is the only other thing that came to mind with the white suit with the rhinestones. Uh, that was a pretty good look. Um, I knew someday that I would preach in all white. You know, it's still a goal yet to be realized. All I've got is the shirt. Um, but someday I'm going to do it. It's got to be Easter. I think it's got to be Easter Sunday too, but we'll see if I ever, if I ever really do it. Uh, here's what's going on. What, what, what's this trying to communicate? Really simple stuff, right? That the transfiguration is what, what's going on here is this, it's showing Jesus for who Jesus really is. It's showing Jesus from the inside out for, for if you want to think about it another way, it's showing this glimpse or this image of Jesus as God really sees Jesus. And so this is quite a gift to these disciples. I think it's a gift to us if we can understand some of the basics in here. Um, And as if these things like that were happening, the clothes dazzling and the face changing aren't weird enough, it just gets, it goes from weird to weirder, right? The disciples see Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Strange. What in the world is this trying to communicate? And so the Messiah was said to be in scripture, a prophet like Moses. Elijah in the Hebrew scriptures 
was said to reappear at the end of the present age before God's kingdom was completed. And so here we have these two great historical figures, the great deliverer of the Exodus, Moses, and we have this end time hope for the future prophet in Elijah, and they're hanging out with Jesus, and they're right in front of Peter, James, and John. And it just shows this, like, suggests these two great periods of Israel's history just colliding in the present, right in front of the disciples. And the fun part is we get to eavesdrop on their conversation. They're speaking of Jesus's departure. This is really important. The Greek word for exodus. It's this reference to Jesus's journey to Jerusalem that we start looking at in Lent next week for the next six weeks. This story of this weekend of suffering and death and resurrection. And so this is what they're talking about. This is the conversation that they're having. Jesus and Moses and Elijah are talking about Jesus' exodus, his departure, his journey to Jerusalem, this plan that God has. And it's like this serves as confirmation to Jesus. This is what we're supposed to see. Jesus is talking with with these guys. He knows exactly what he must go and do. And that starts, we'll start looking at that next week. And so the disciples have this like mountaintop experience. They witness this glorious moment and they want to bask in it. Like, and when I first looked at this, I thought, it's so easy to point the finger at Peter. He's really easy. And then the first thing I thought of was like, can you really blame him for wanting to capture this moment, right? If we had cell phones, we'd be trying to take pictures, hit record, He's trying to do the same thing we would do today using our technology. He doesn't know what to do. He wants to make this moment last longer. And so we all long for these really rare, you know, mountaintop experiences that we get in our lives. We want to feel closer to God and experience God's presence. And so here's a picture of me and my dog at the top of Pine Mountain. This is one of my favorite things to do. So once in a blue moon, every couple of months, on my day off, I take my dog up to the top of Pine Mountain in the Los Padres National Forest. These guys go have gone as well. Um, if you haven't been, by the way, just a little recommendation, this is the coolest place we have in Ventura County. Just a heads up if you haven't been. Um, and when I go there, I rarely ever feel closer to God than when I'm on this mountain in solitude with that view, right? And so my dog can hike back there for hours without running into another human, maybe except with the exception of I've seen you guys. (laughs) Um, But there's not a lot of people up there. And so this uh, other picture is just my really happy dog. And he makes me happy too, so I just wanted to put him in there. And so to me, this I love this place. And this is what I thought of, because what I said to myself was, how often, once I go up to the top of Pine Mountain, do I ever want to come down? Like, when we've gone together, we've talked about it. How often have we said, oh, this is, this is going to be so awesome. I can't wait to leave. I can't wait to leave that. You know, we're like, oh, can we just stretch it out for like a minute longer or five minutes longer or an hour longer? But then life dictates something different. We always say, we've got other things we have to do, other things that are important. And so these mountaintop experiences, they don't last as long as we might like them to. 
Peter quite literally does not want to come down from Mount Tabor. He wants to stay. And I understand why. He doesn't want to re-enter the hardships of real life. We get that. That makes some sense to us. He wants to stay in the divine presence forever. Uh, And so he comes up with his idea of maybe us taking a selfie, which is how we capture these moments. Peter has a different idea. He has no cell phone, so he decides he's going to build three dwelling places. How practical is that? Think about, just think about that for a little bit, right? This is his great idea. He's just confessed Jesus as the Messiah, but what this building project of his, what it communicates is just further proof he has no idea what being, what the Messiah, what this really means for Jesus. So he's this like really stereotypical guy. I can, I can relate to him in this regard. He wants to build something. He wants to do something. He wants to solve problems. And what he needs to do is just be still and be silent. And then what I thought he really needed was for God to like surgically implant a speed bump between his brain and his mouth to help him slow himself down a little bit. Because he thinks he has the plan. He knows what to do, right? He wants to honor and commemorate the event. Uh, he wants it to last forever. And not only is it a strange response to build these dwellings, it's super impractical. Like, what are Jesus and Moses and Elijah going to do hanging out in these dwellings, right? Just think about this first. It's so unusual. Um, but you see where his heart is, and you see what he's trying to do. But like us having these mountaintop experiences in our lives, Jesus had stuff to do. His disciples had stuff to do. We have this departure, this exodus that we know is coming that's so, so important that Jesus has to be about. He can't stay up on top of Mount Tabor forever with these guys. He's got work to do. And same with us, as much as we might like to remain on these mountaintop experiences forever, real life calls us back down. And so this is the fun part for me, is Peter just is foolishly flapping his gums. God almost humorously has to interrupt him. You know, he has to inter- God has to intervene because Peter won't stop talking. And so this God that we talk about of infinite patience runs out of patience with the long-winded Peter. God can't even wait for Peter to stop this foolish speech. And this cloud comes in. Always in scripture, the cloud symbolizing the divine presence of God, right? And so God's voice actually has to drown out Peter's own voice because Peter just really doesn't want to stop talking. And the divine voice comes from the cloud. What God says should sound really familiar for those of us that know our scripture. Jesus' baptism, almost the exact same words are used. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Jesus is God's priceless son, God's flesh and blood, the one who reveals and expresses God's heart. And so whether consciously or not, what Peter has said is no. He wants Jesus to find another way. This whole dying and rising thing, Peter can't comprehend. He doesn't understand it. He thinks that Jesus needs to find another way. And so we have the glory of God that's shining like never before, but the contrast in this passage, is that we have this looming image of crucifixion. And those two things are being laid side by side. It's kind of the gospel writer's genius making us think about these two things, that we have this glory, but we have a different kind of glory 
in crucifixion. That not only is God revealed in these mountaintop experiences, but here's what the gospel writer is trying to say. God's ultimately going to be revealed in the cross. And I think that's what he wants us to think about. And so after God spoke, Moses and Elijah disappear. Jesus is left alone with his disciples. They have no idea what to do with this experience. And so it actually says, this is the the only time in the scripture they actually said to do something right. They they remained silent about it for years. Too bad they hadn't remained silent a few minutes earlier. Uh, They might have learned and experienced something even deeper. And so it's like there's a ton of directions we could go to wrap it up. I just want to stay on the the same one. The voice of God commands one simple thing for those who trust the Son. Listen. Listen to him. And what's fascinating about this simple thing is if you're anything like me, how hard is this to do? It's not easy. I'll tell you that. It sounds simple, but I honestly think it's one of the more difficult things that followers of Jesus have to try to do is is to listen. There's a lot of reasons for this, but when I look at my own life and I compare myself and put myself into this text, which I think is a fun exercise, what I learned when I did that was I'm a lot like Peter. I'm too busy talking and building to stop, sit quietly, and listen for God's voice. Like most people, I enjoy talking. Even as an introvert, which I am, I tend to be on the quiet side publicly. But ask Katie how quiet I am when the two of us are at home. Like, I will blab on about anything that I'm excited about or care about, and I can do it for hours on end um, until she finally just is like, can please, like, can you stop? Like, take a breath. Um, and this really made me think. It's like, I recognize I'm a lot like Peter. I want to go, 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 go. Not only is talking fun, um, but I love to build stuff too. Like, I'm Peter. I love building stuff. Not only building stuff for me, building stuff for God. Think about it, right? I love Like getting my hands dirty, working in the community, fixing things, solving problems, getting stuff done, making plays. Like I don't have time to be idle and sit by doing nothing. And what does God say to me? The same thing. God says, stop talking, stop doing, stop building. Just be. Sit in my presence in silence and listen. And so when I was thinking about this, it drives me back to like the great mystics. There's a German theologian and mystic, Meister Eckhart. I don't know if anybody's ever read him. He's credited as saying that there's nothing in the world that resembles God so much as silence. In the 16th century, there was a Spanish mystic, John of the Cross. He's sort of famous. Uh, He wrote some cool stuff. Um, He was said to have only spoken forth one word in the silence, and that word was the name of God's son. Some really interesting stuff, because I think this says something to a culture of doers. We are a culture of doers. And in a culture of doers, what does silence feel like? It feels like doing nothing, right? That's what it feels like. It can really feel like that, but nothing, the truth is, nothing could be further from the truth. Because what we're supposed to learn, I think, from this text is that silence is pregnant with the presence of God. And so Christian tradition, of course, has been teaching this for centuries. And we have things like mindfulness practice that are huge today. If anyone does yoga with Pastor Jennifer, right, she does incorporates a ton of this stuff in her yoga work, this prayerful meditation and practicing 
uh, practicing silence and learning to listen, it's really valuable stuff. The truth is, it's difficult. Like, I've been trying to add this to my personal practice. I'm up to 15 minutes of absolute silence. I've had to work my way up to that. I think I started at about two or three, and I'm working my way up to 15 minutes with the goal of getting to 30. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it, but I'm working on it. And it's a struggle because there are a million and one distractions, almost all of them in my own mind. And so the Christian tradition of the desert mothers and fathers, they actually call the prayer uh, silence the prayer of rest. Who doesn't need rest? It's a kind of prayer that simply rests in God's presence in order to try to experience the living presence of God's transforming love and listen for the voice of God to speak. And so disciples have to learn to listen to Jesus. This is why Julie says that we were made by God with two ears and one mouth. In prayer, we seek more than words. We seek God's presence in order to be better equipped to go down, back down the mountain, to face life's challenges around us, to re-engage people that are broken and hurting, um, and to help heal this hurting and broken world. And so communion with God in the silence of our hearts is this God-given capacity, but it needs to be developed and practiced. It reminds us also that we're never separated from God. But as like great teachers, like Jennifer says this, she'll say that God is as close to you as your next breath. And that is the reminder in the silence. Amen. So something different. We're not going to just talk about something and then not try it. We're going to do one minute of silence. And I'm going to help you with it. We're going to sit up straight. We're going to root our feet firmly on the ground. Put your palms on your legs and your lap. It doesn't really matter to me, however you're comfortable. The key here, I think, is to give your mind something to do. So I said that the one guy says the one word that he would say in in silence is the word, the name of God's son, Jesus. If that works for you, um, I use the Jesus prayer, which is one of the oldest known prayers. Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me. So you can close your eyes if you want. You can take three or four deep breaths from the abdomen. And I think one minute, we're going to combine our breath with that prayer word if you have one. And so when your attention is stolen by thoughts, just return to the breath and return to whatever that prayer word is. Let's just spend one minute together in silence. 